if you're a buyer and you're coming to Vietnam, you should have the mindset that you might be the one rolling out the red carpet for the factory. Don't expect the factory to roll out the red carpet for you because the situation is, is that there are people lined up outside the factories. I mean, not literally, figuratively, wanting to put orders into the factory. Well, well, welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kenei, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So on the inbound marketing strategies, as you be Amazon, natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kunay Campbell. Let's get rolling. Behind on planning for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, Clavio is here to help. Clavio is a growth marketing platform chosen by the innovative direct-to-consumer brands you love. And the results speak for themselves. Those brands have made more than $3.7 billion in revenue through Clavio in the last year alone. With the holiday season right around the corner, Clavio has created the ultimate planning guide for crushing those holiday revenue targets. From marketing creative to segmentation strategy, there's still time to implement proven tactics for more personalized marketing. Take charge and own your customer experience. Whether you're a billion dollar business or starting up, Clavio is the growth marketing platform to help you win this holiday season. Visit Clavio.com forward slash 2x to get Clavio's holiday planning guide. Remember, that is K L A V I Y O.com forward slash 2x. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm Kune, your host, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. So if you're looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, traffic, and ultimately sales, you're listening to the right show, basically. Um, so remember our Clavio BOS episode where I live interviewed, you know, um, lots of people. I had about seven live interviews, and we did that marathon early in um, November and October well, the uh, I have to say I've caught the bog and um, I'm in Vietnam right now, Ho Chi Minh City, and I hooked up with the expert, the go-to person um, when it comes to apparel manufacturing in Vietnam. And I requested for an interview. I came, I flew out here to speak with him. He's that, you know, great in, in this space. Yeah, I'm not going to babble too much. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Chris to the show. Welcome, Chris. Hello. It's great to be here. And start off with a quick introduction. So my name is Chris, and I've been working in the Vietnam garment industry since 2008. I've been working as a marketing manager for a Vietnamese sewing factory, making, for lack of a better description, T-shirts. And over time, I my marketing improved, and I got more and more inquiries from both, you know, established brands. Like, well, one 
client that comes to mind is Calvin Klein. We met them at a trade show and then, you know, took a couple years to get them on board. But it's a, a name that you might know. But a lot of the people that contact me are no-name brands or they're startups who not established yet. And they're just curious, wanting to learn about what does it take to get started in Vietnam with manufacturing. So in summary, what I do is I advise fashion startups. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, so so Chris, you, you've been here for 10 years and basically you've worked with Calvin Klein in the past and now you work with startups, launching fashion e-commerce brands. What's been the attraction to Vietnam in the apparel space? Well, the Vietnamese have a reputation for a good hand, meaning that they they work well with a sewing machine and they're very focused. On the flip side, they've been accused of being slower compared to countries like China, but I attribute I attribute that slowness to attention to detail, which equates to a, qual- a quality. All right, okay, so the slope, so you, you get better quality apparel here in, in Vietnam. Okay, now um, let's talk about, I guess, if you were to whittle down the process for launching you know, apparel brands essentially from you know the back end of your business, we're not talking about marketing now, um, can you whittle it down to three steps, three essential steps that when, you know, listeners sort of adopt, they will not get the process wrong. Right. So the most important thing is to know what it is that you want. And the way that you communicate what it is that you want is in a tech pack or a technical specification document. A tech pack, well, sorry, before I go on, I'll just... Prelude. So tech packs, manage your quality control, and then make sure that you can meet the minimum order quantities of the factories. So let's talk about tech packs first. So tech packs are, I like to think of them as a contract between the designer and the factory. Because a designer in, say, uh, Dubai has to communicate all the design details, the technical details, the sewing details to a sewing factory in in Vietnam that speaks a different language, has a different cultural, a different business culture, and may not understand the the fashion trends that are happening in Dubai. Mm. So how do you communicate an idea that's in... The, the mind of the fashion designer in Dubai with the merchandisers, the Vietnamese merchandisers in the sewing factory. And the best way to do it is to write it down. And in fact, this is an industry standard. All the Nikes and the Walmarts of the world, for every single garment that gets quoted, sampled, and produced is accompanied with a tech pack. Okay, let's break down a basic tech pack. I, I don't want this episode to go too deeply into tech packs. You have your website, you know, vietnaminsiders.net. People can, you know, reach out to you to, to get more detail. Okay, so let's 
pretend I am, um, you know, launching a an apparel brand for um, for activewear, an activewear apparel brand. What would you want to see in my tech pack to ensure that the factory know exactly what I want? Right. So you have what's called a flat sketch. It's just a two dimensional sketch that shows the basic um, style. Then the most, well, you have what's called the uh, size chart. And you don't have to fill in the whole size chart. You just need the measurements for one size, which is usually medium. And those measurements are critical because that they're, they are what determine the fit. And of course, you, you want the fit to be perfect. And the factory cannot guess. So either you have to give them the measurements, which is written down in the tech pack in the, the size chart, or you have to have a sample produced in advance and you send it to the factory and then the factory will just measure, get the measurements straight off the sample. So after, then the, the, the other important thing is what's called a bill of material, right? Which is basically a list of everything that goes into the, to the garment. And one of the most important things in the bill of material is fabric. And, you know, it's not enough to write or to, you know, communicate, oh, I want uh, a Lululemon quality fabric, which is 95% polyester and 5% spandex. That's a, a, an easy way to um, tag yourself as a beginner. Because f f just to talk about polyester, there, there's, there is a POY, DTY, ID, ITY, and FDY polyester, which if it makes your head spin hearing those terms, it's okay because it made my head spin. And although I've studied it, I've since forgotten it. So I'd have to go back and review myself. But the point is that there are different kinds of polyester. And to even go, you know, to drive the point home even more, there's, there's what's called dernier and filament. If you look at a, a strand or, a, yeah, a strand of um, polyester under a microscope, under an electron microscope, it's actually can be as many as 144 individual, what are called um, filaments that are spun together to make one polyester piece of yarn. And when you choose your polyester, you have to clearly define how many filaments you want. And then the dernier has to do with the, the diameter of each filament. So, um, and the other thing is, is that like, if you were to bring a factory, a, um, a Lululemon garment and say, oh, this is what I want. Reverse, reverse engineer it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it ain't easy. And it costs money. Like, I mean, they can look at it, they can touch it, they can feel it, they can weigh it, and then they can try to show you something that's similar. But it's not going to be, I don't even think it's going to be remotely close. Because Lululemon, Lululemon, I mean, their text, textile engineering is extremely advanced and they're, they've spent a lot of time and, and money to come up with some really amazing fabrics that even if you sent the fabric to um, labs, 
bonafide international labs like SGS and Intertech who will charge around $60 to do uh, a, a proper laboratory test where they, they uh, add chemicals, they um, look at it under a microscope, they actually unravel the, the fabrics and try to figure out. But, but basically they're guessing. Unless you go to the factory where the Lululemon fabric was made, most, most likely Taiwan. Why Taiwan? Taiwan is just known for, uh, for technical fabrics. Okay. That's where they're at in their uh, curve, their um, manufacturing curve. So do they do it at scale or is that what you prototype? Well, Taiwan does it at scale. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Taiwan, in the past... Taiwan and Korea did did the sewing, but their labor costs, you know, grew over the years where they priced themselves out of the market. And so the legacy sewing factories that still wanted to be in the business got into the fabric manufacturing and they became experts at it. So like the best, some of the best fabric in the world is coming from Taiwan and Korea. Are these synthetic um, fabrics or, um, you know, any kind of fabric? Basically, any kind of fabric, but um, mostly synthetics. I mean, Taiwan and Korea, I think, are stronger in, in synthetics just because it's easier to get the raw material. Right? So so the supply chain sounds like, um, well, in this scenario, the Lululemon example you're giving sounds like um, it would, the materials will come from, will typically come from Taiwan mm. and then it'd be sewn in here in Vietnam. Yes. The the larger companies like Nike's, the Nike's of the world, that's how they do it, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so back to tech pack. So you got your bill of materials. So yeah, you need your fabric. And just to kind of make the final point on fabric, you need to know the knitting or the weaving structure, or you need to define clearly in the tech pack, the knitting or the weaving structure, the weight, the uh, finish, and the color. And a quick note on color. So color is relatively easy because there's an international standard called Pantone. And you just look it up on the internet and you'll see all the Pantone colors and each color has a code number. So all you have to do is call out the code number. Say, um, yeah, I want this kind of fabric with this Pantone color. Now that's assuming it's solid. If you start doing heathers or melanges or you do like what's called space dye fabric where it's actually a combination of colors, obviously that's more complicated. But all right, so back to the bill of materials. So your fabric and then you got your trims and your accessories. And trims are anything that stay on the garment after you take it out of its packaging. So like buttons, uh, care labels, right? They stay on the garment. Whereas accessories are things that get thrown in the trash after you unpack it for the first time. Poly bags, hang tags, um, carton boxes. And so in the bill of material, you just list it all out. And like I like to use the uh, example of buttons. You think it's simple, but I mean, there's many different kinds of buttons. I mean, the majority of buttons are plastic, but uh, there are also a lot of natural buttons, whether it's ivory or from... Um, clamshells or whatever so it just depends on your design but you know if you're worried about price 
and you want to go cheap on the buttons, well, call it out in the tech pack. You know, maybe you don't know exactly the the composition of the buttons, but just say we want cheap buttons. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you want a, a higher quality buttons, maybe with your brand, you know, um, en- engraved in the button brand name, you know, ma- make a note. You know, in the the bill of materials, we want ivory buttons with our brand brand name on it. So. Fabric, trims, and accessories, those are the three main things that need to be in the bill of materials. And one interesting point that I learned from uh, Belinda, who's one of my superheroes, she is a, um, a freelance tech packer, and her website is called techpacks.co. And um, she taught me the idea of including a column in your bill of material with that it's, the column is labeled supplier. So if you've already identified the fabric supplier, well then put the name, contact, the name of the company, the contact person's name, plus their email, plus their phone number, plus the exact model number of the fabric that you identified, let's say, at a trade show, mm. right? So maybe you didn't go to Taiwan, but you met the Taiwanese a salesperson in Los Angeles and they had a catalog with physical samples and there was a code name. Well, put that code name in the tech pack. That's a lot to take in. As, and I mean, it's a lot. Now, um, I think I want to unpack some of what you just said. Um, to I think the, the major theme here is to make the tech pack work, you need to understand fabrics. Now, a lot of listeners don't understand fabrics. Where do you start from? Do you hire an expert? Do you go to trade shows, as you just alluded to, or um, or do you learn it from scratch? Do you get a book and you know learn it and you know just take on the learning curve? So I would like to answer that um, on the contrary. What I recommend you don't do is don't expect the factory to educate you about fabrics. Factories make things. They're not educational institutions. And also because because I'm on the manufacturing side and I I see the all the hard work and the long hours and the complicated uh, merchandising details that go into, you know, getting a garment from an idea through a price quote to a sample through production, the factories, they're crazy busy. And if you walk into a factory and you're not, you don't have all your ducks in a row, you don't know exactly what you want and you're, you know, you're kind of hoping that they'll um, hook you up Mm -hmm. and, you know, and help you figure out what you want, you don't go very far. Mm -hmm. So all the things that you mentioned, absolutely. Go online, study, learn. I even suggest that you start locally with a local fabric wholesaler. Almost every major city in the world has somebody selling textiles. Maybe it's curtain textiles. You know, maybe it's a university where they have a fashion program and, uh, you know, one of the professors there has some experience. But use your local resources to go to somebody who's 
like selling fabric locally and ask them for help and just ask them to explain the basics. For example, understanding the difference between knit and woven fabric is key. You don't want to walk into a, fa a factory and start talking about fabric and, and then you you expose the fact that you don't even know the difference between knit and woven. Mm. You know, it's a quick way to frustrate the factory. So yeah, look locally first and and try or go to local trade shows and then ask the salespeople at the the local wholesalers in your town, ask them questions mm. and let them teach you and educate you because salespeople, that's their job. Mm. And even though if you, you may not buy something from them, but you know, hey, that's part of the sales process. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now that you have your tech pack already, um, next step is QC, as you said, or yes, QC, um, quality control for those who didn't get what QC is. Um, what are the the building blocks or what are the basics of QC? So first, I'd like to say that Murphy's law is universal. And what can go wrong will go wrong. And many things go wrong in a manufacturing environment. Maybe not so much in like electronics and stuff like that, where, you know, once you program the computer and the robot knows what to do, everything's cool. But when it comes to uh, garment manufacturing, because there's so much uh, humans involved and there's a lot of like s s small bits and pieces that have to come from many places, which is also true in electronics, but... Um, the there's just a lot of variables that go into especially more complicated garments like jackets and overcoats and uh you know wedding or like uh, evening gowns but even a t-shirt i mean even a t-shirt has uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 like variables and so you need qc just as a checks and balance to make sure that when the, when the garment is finally ready to ship, that it's sellable. And so there's two things to remember about quality control. One is you need a checklist. You, you want to, before you approach a factory, you should have a quality control checklist prepared in advance. And how do you get that checklist? You get it from the tech pack. So the tech pack is kind of like the recipe for the factory to follow to bake your cake. And by if you look at the recipe, if you look at the tech pack, you can pull out some decision points, which can be easily used as quality control checks. So if you have a good tech pack, it's easy to make a good quality control checklist and they should go hand in hand. So who does the quality control? Okay. So... A good factory is going to have their own internal QC. And that's one of the things you should look for when you go to the factory and, you know, judge them. Make your own judgment as to whether or not their internal QC is uh, reliable or not. But truly, you don't know until after the first, second, or third shipment. And if they're really good, then you won't have any problems. But it's, it's better to be proactive and to put in place your own checks and balances. You can either have someone from your own team go and just, you know, check the all the things in the checklist. Earlier on in the process, what alarm bells um, tell you if 
like um, the company or the factory doesn't have, you know, the necessary quality control in place. Okay, so for me, um, it's all about talking to the owner of the factory, getting straight to the top and uh, having a conversation and just sitting down with that person, walking through the factory, asking some tough questions. And based, you'll be able to judge that person based on how they answer your questions about what, what you're seeing. And, you know, you, you just ask them straight up, like, so how do you manage quality control in your factory? And if they give you a short answer and, or dodge the question, and then that's a bad sign. But if they, they go off into a 20-minute monologue and actually, like, show you how they manage QC, that's a good sign. So Because I believe that um, everything starts at the top. And so if you judge the owner of a factory as a detailed, kind, hardworking, intelligent person, most likely they've hired people similar that have similar qualities as they do. And so therefore everyone down the in the chain of command is also good on, you know, they're good. Um, whereas if you spend time with the factory owner and they're more interested to talk about sports and about their new Mercedes and, and they just want to go out and, and have uh, seafood and drink beer, well, that's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. So, but how to overcome that regardless, you know, even if the factory looks good, but the owner doesn't seem to be really like, you know, on top of things, it still could be a great factory to work with. But you want to have a, a, a checks and balance in place, and that's where third-party QC companies come into play. And there are many. One uh, one of my favorites is a company called V Trust, which is based out of China, and they're, they they um, they have quite a wide network of offices and people all around Asia, China, and Southeast Asia. Um, there's also QIMA Kima. There's uh, Inspectorio and um, there's a few others. If you just Google it, you'll find them. Mm-hmm. But what I want to say about the third-party QC, as just as a standard for you to, when you talk about money, the, a standard qual, third-party quality control rate is $300 per man day. So you got to pay 300 bucks to have one trained QC person to show up to the factory at seven in the morning, seven or eight in the morning. And one QC staff can check about 125 garments per day. Only. Yeah. Wow. And that's just, that's just a, a standard, you know. So with the QC process, is it thorough or um, do you randomly select garments? So... You know, uh, I've written a book on quality control for fashion startups. And in that book, I, I talk about uh, AQL, acceptable quality limit. And if you Google it, there's some great videos that will explain it. It's actually kind of complicated. But the bottom line is, how many samples do you have to check in order to have a statistically significant result? Right? So if you've got a thousand pieces... Do you have to check 50? Do you have to check 100? Do you have to check 150 in order to have a statistically significant uh, vote of confidence, mm-hmm. you know? And, and AQL has a whole system to address that. And they have tables. You have to look up values in tables. And then it, they, at the end, it will tell you, okay, you've got 800 garments. You need to check 60. Mm-hmm. And then that's 
where you inform the third-party QC company what AQL level you want them to check. And then all they have to know is what's the total quantity and then they know exactly how many you have to check. And then, yes, they have to thoroughly go through, like if it's 60, they have to go through all 60 and they, they have to do the checklist. Super interesting. Any other points in around QC we, we need to know? Um, well, there's one thing that's happening right now, which is digitization, which is, I mean, cell phones, iPads, just the world is becoming more digital. And there's a, there's a great company called uh, Pivot88. And what they've developed a software, which can be on your, uh, your digital phone, your iPad, and on your desktop. And everybody involved, the factory, the third-party QC company, and the brand that are in different parts of the world can see the QC checks in real time and monitor, monitor and resolve mm. problems. So if you really want to be cutting edge, if you're just starting out, Rather than hiring uh, third-party uh, companies to go in at $300 a day, man day, you might invest in uh, like a Pivot 88 solution, which is around $1,000 a month. So for maybe for small brands, it doesn't make a lot of business sense, but for bigger brands, it does. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. Okay, so third pillar... MOQs, which is minimum order quantities. What are we looking at um, at the moment to make it economically viable, to make it, you know, um, both worthwhile for your business and the factory's time? So the important thing to understand, and if you've never lived in a manufacturing company, it's not obvious. Uh, countries like China and Vietnam, manufacturing is all about High volume, low price. And if you can hit the high volume, even with a low price, the factory can make a nice profit. But as soon as you start doing under a thousand pieces, the amount of profit that a factory will make will be either the same or less of the cost of getting started. So what we call development cost. So if you come with just one t-shirt to a factory and you say, you know, here's my idea, here's my tech pack, here's my physical sample, and I want to develop with you. I want to do a price quote. I want to do uh, an initial sample. And then if, if the price is good, the sample's good, then we'll, we need to do a full size set sample from small, extra small up to extra large. And and then go from there. But that whole process, in general, can cost as much as $1,000. When you consider all the people in the factory that are involved in that development process and how much they're making per hour, if you add it all up, not to mention the materials, right? Um, so if you do the math, when you're only doing like 50 pieces or 200 pieces or even like five or 600 pieces, if you, if you do the math, factories sometimes are not making $1,000. So if the development cost is $1,000 and they're not even making $1,000, they're losing money. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, they, they scratch their head and they wonder why factories don't want to accept 
their small MOQ orders or worse, the factory accepts it, you know, they shake their head. Yeah, 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 we'll do it. We'll do it. And, uh, they, and they, maybe they take a small deposit or, you know, they, they make a few samples and then either you go back to your country or you just don't see them for a while. And all of a sudden they disappear. They don't eat, they don't, they don't answer your emails. They don't follow up with what they promised. And, and you're, you're wondering what's going on. Well, from my perspective, it's simple. They figured out that they're going to lose money. So they just stop, you know, and especially, and this goes back to the point of the tech packs. If you don't know what you want and you're, you're making changes during the development process, every time you make a change and they have to do the sample again, it's more cost on their side. And they lose, they, they get to the point quickly where they're losing money and it's better for them to cut their losses and just stop answering your emails mm. and, and hope that you don't, you know, come back basically. Okay. Um, I just wanted to clarify the, the 1000 minimum MOQ is that per design per color or, um, if you have, um, somewhat of a collection, say you were releasing, um, I don't know, three designs, uh, and in two colors, are you talking a thousand each for, for those, um, permutations or, or iterations? So to keep it simple, the simple answer is a thousand pieces per color, but the complication or the complicated answer is that, you know, if you're talking about a bra top, the consumption of fabric is much smaller than say a pencil dress. So, you know, when you talk about MOQ, I, I think the best way to think of it is not so much in pieces, but fabric. So all fabric, at least like t-shirt fabric, has the same width, 1.6 meters wide. Mm. And so we just talk about the length. So like, let's say you, you have a thousand meters of t-shirt fabric. If you want to make pencil dresses, you might get 400 pencil dresses out of a thousand meters of fabric. So your MOQ is only 400 pieces. But if you're doing like a bra top, like activewear sports bra top, in a thousand meters of fabric, you might get 3,000 bra tops. So to really talk intelligently about MOQ, first you need to define what the style is. I mean, if it's like underwear or briefs or even like a tank top, the, the number of pieces can be higher. But if it's like an evening gown, well, then the number of pieces is lower. So keep that in mind. You know, when I say 1,000 pieces per style per color, I'm thinking of a t-shirt. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Those are the two main points. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Um, wrapping this conversation up is besides this three key pillars, what should listeners be aware of um, in about, you know, Vietnam as, as a whole? Where have we, what, 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 what gaps have we, we, we let missed? So Vietnam is in the right place at the right time and it's good and it's bad. What I mean is at this, in 2019, 2020, China is struggling partially because of the tax taxes from the U.S. President Trump, 
but also they're struggling internally just because their their wages are, have gone up a lot. Their government has cracked down on uh, uh, factories that were not complying environmentally. And so a lot of the orders that used to be done in China are now looking for a new home. And one of the first places they come to is Vietnam. And because Vietnam is still, you know, coming of age and uh, they're right now, you know, just beginning to mature and the the business environment here is uh, very positive and uh, there's a lot of good factories that have experience. So it's a natural place to come. But the problem is, is that right now there are more orders coming to Vietnam looking for a home than there are good factories that can process those orders. Mm. So the way I like to put it is if you're a buyer and you're coming to Vietnam, you should have the mindset that you might be the one rolling out the red carpet for the factory. Don't expect the factory to roll out the red carpet for you because the situation is, is that there are people lined up outside the factories. I mean, not literally, figuratively wanting to put orders into the factories. Mm. So most of the good factories in Vietnam are saturated. Mm. And like some of them will tell you, you know, we're booked for like the next six months. Mm. And so there still are opportunities here, but you've got to um, get out and pound the pavement. You've got to go to two or three different factories. You've got to do your due diligence. And some of it's luck, um, finding factories that have available capacity that can meet your price point and and that you simply in, want to work with because they're friendly and professional people. Mm-hmm. You know, so you gotta you gotta m- connect all those dots, and it's not something you just do. You don't just fly into Ho Chi Minh City and in two or three days run around trying to make things happen. You know, it's 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 a longer process. Things take time here. Um, on another note, you, you mentioned earlier um, about trade shows and expos um, very briefly. Which are your favorites? Which, which should um, listeners really, you know, keep an eye on and attend? So I recommend the Shanghai Intertextile Trade Show in, in China. And I'll come back to that. But as far as Vietnam's concerned, there's uh, the VTG, which is just happening here in about two weeks, the end of November. It happens twice a year. I think the other one is in, I think it's in March or April. I can't remember. But um, what does VTG stand for? Vietnam Textile Garment, Vietnam Textile and Garment Trade Show. And it happens here in Ho Chi Minh City. And the, the thing, though, here's the thing you gotta, uh, I'd like to point out. Most of the exhibitors at the apparel trade shows in Vietnam are not sewing factories. There's maybe 10 out of the thousands that exist in Vietnam. And the reason is that the sewing factories, they don't need to go to these trade shows to find customers because, as I mentioned earlier, they already have enough customers. Um, so who who is exhibiting at the trade shows? It's the... Chinese, Taiwanese, and Korean fabric suppliers and Indian fabric suppliers. And it's the Chinese, uh, Indian, Korean, and Taiwanese equipment manufacturers. Mm. So it's it's still worth it to go to the shows mm. because you can network. You know, all these... Uh, so here's a tip. All the sellers of equipment or sellers of fabrics, they have a network 
established in Vietnam. Mm. And so if you spend time to get to know them and, and you know, they like you, they, they can introduce you to factories in Vietnam. But the factories themselves are not there. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting because um, I was speaking, so I, over the weekend, I, I got to catch up with um, a Chinese guy. Uh, he has sort of launched on behalf of companies, um, I think two factories. And I was, I was asking him what the pros and cons of it was. And he was like, he wished um, they, they bought the land essentially and built it from scratch. Um, it would have been much more efficient long term um, in China, that is. And um, he was also telling me about um, how short term it is to just try and go into a facility and, you know, try and rent essentially. So he's saying really the opportunity um, for like bigger brands that is in Vietnam is to just look for land or look for facilities and, you know, control their entire supply chain and get someone reliable to, to do it if they're going to these trade shows because, you know, their their equipment suppliers there anyway. Is the Vietnam government um, essentially encouraging, um, you know, um, businesses to set up factories here? Yes, um, but of course there are challenges. I mean, like 10 years ago, it was uh, much easier to for a, a large scale um, business like Walmart or or Nike or something like that to come here and set up, but um, you know the the government uh, over the years has just become smarter, mm-hmm. and I mean smarter in good ways and smarter in maybe not so good ways. Smarter in good ways in that they're now like um, implementing uh, good practices of um, like putting water waste uh, treatment plants Mm. in at the industrial zones. Well, that comes at a cost and that cost is passed on to the people who either rent or lease or buy the the land in the industrial zones. So whereas, you know, in 10 years ago, it was relatively cheap to set up a factory here, but now it's from... I mean, I've never done it myself, so I'm, it's just hearsay. But it's m- it's more difficult now to to do it cost effectively, mm. and and really, it's only something that you know really big uh, companies would yeah. even think about. Yeah, there's a sustainability layer to it now, um, which we all should be cognizant yeah. about. One thing I like to point out is that you know, to me, there's three groups of factories. There. Are, there are foreign factories that are managed the foreigner way. Then there are foreign factories that are managed the Vietnamese way. And there are Vietnamese factories that are managed the Vietnamese way. And you can pretty much take any factory and put it into one of those three groups. And of course, you know, like uh, I know some some German factories that are managed using German management systems and, you know, you can eat off the floor and the, they've got all, they've got like solar panels on the roof and, you know, the air conditioning is tight and, um, but their price is also higher, you know, then you've got some foreign invested factories, but are managed, uh, by Vietnamese 
and they're maybe still good factories, but not what you'd like to see in terms of uh, corporate social responsibility and um, implementing like energy saving um, practices. And then you've got the the last tier where you know the what are sometimes labeled as sweatshops, where they're um, you know 100% Vietnamese owned and uh, managed the Vietnamese way. And sometimes when you go into those kinds of factories, you're taken back a little bit. And sometimes there's good reasons to be taken back, and you know you've got to be selective and careful. But also, I mean, I've been into some factories where you cannot eat off the floor, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of logical um, processes in place. But in fact, the factories are very good, and they're just doing it their way, you know. And and they're not interested for someone to some Westerner to come in and tell them how to do it better. They are getting the job done. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's, it's what I call organized chaos here. You know, just with the with the with the motorbikes, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting. And from my observation, no one raises a voice at anybody. Everybody kind of respects this space. It's it's weird. I I've not seen it that way. In some countries I've been to in Africa, um, you'd hear people yelling at each other because they've hit. Well, no one. I, I was on one today, and it was just organized chaos. No, it's true. And I personally love it. I mean, it's like you live by the law of the jungle Mm. and survival of the fittest. And I mean, one of the nice things about Vietnam is that it's a country where if you work hard and if you're smart, you can increase your uh, standard of living, Mm. you know, so it's very... um, Western in that way. Mm. I would like to share one one point. Um, at the top of every government document, they have three words: independence, freedom, and happiness. Mm. And uh, I find it ironic, ironic because those are the same values, uh, American values. But I, I truly believe that in their core. The, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why I feel comfortable living here and working here is that they share those values mm-hmm. um, just in an Asian way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the people respect each other and uh, everybody is focused on working hard, doing a good job, making money and improving their standard of living. Mm-hmm. Super, super interesting, Chris. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, it's been a privilege having you on. Uh, thank you again. Cheers. <laughs> Yeah, my pleasure. So if you're interested to learn more, please check out my books, which you can buy on Amazon. For example, uh, if you just Google garment manufacturing for startups or quality control for fashion startups, um, you can find my books and read more about things like AQL and the four-point fabric inspection system. Okay, and um, you are on um, vietnaminsider.net. Um, I will link to you on the show notes. Are you active on any other social media platform? LinkedIn. If you Google Chris Walker or, or search for Chris Walker Vietnam and LinkedIn, um, I'm on it every day and it's a great way to just message me and, and get in contact. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X e-commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. 
It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.